0: Show you a better way. You don't have to another face in this crowd. The I Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast does always one man's view to do. change the world and change the times and the things that we can all do live a better life when times get tough. Or even if they don't come to you once again from Arlington, Texas today with episode 438 of the Survival Podcast. It is Wednesday, May 19th, 2010, and this is again episode 438, which means uh, we've been doing this together for a long time. And we're going to talk about something today we've talked about in the past. But I'm going to share a little bit of my personal story about it with you, and this time I'm going to share some of my past, but I'm also going to share some of my present and what it means to come out the other side of this journey. And what we're going to talk about today is debt, and I know you may be thinking debt's not my thing. I don't want to talk about debt or whatever, um, but we got to do this, and we got to do this once in a while. And I probably do this about once every other month, and I'll probably do it about once a month and once every other month. For the rest of my life as long as I'm in physical condition to get on the air with you every day and do this. Because it is the single most important component to modern survival living. Because all the things that we talk about as dreams for our homesteads uh, and dreams for our preps and dreams for our family are attacked by this cancer that is debt. And what's going to be different about today's show, though, so hold on if you think you've heard everything there is to hear about debt from Jack before, at least everything Jack likes to talk about with debt. We're going to talk a lot less about how to get out of it, and what it. instead we're going to talk about what it means when you come out of it on the other side. And I want to talk to you about kind of why I'm doing this today. Yesterday in the forum, um, I saw a person asking a question. And it's amazing how in life, Things all come together at the exact same time in a way that crystallizes why you've been doing something for so long, even though you just did it because you thought it was the right thing to do. And here's what I mean by that. First, I'll tell you what this thread was about. This gentleman had uh, refinanced his house a few years ago. And something happened with the escrow where they were, you know, like basically keeping more escrow than they're supposed to. The escrow, for folks that may not know, is additional money that you pay on your house payment that's set aside in a separate account. And this money is used to do things like pay your insurance and property taxes when you have a loan where it's all in one payment. So every time you make a payment, the, the part that your property taxes isn't going to the tax assessor. It's going into an account. And then once a year, that account is liquidated and the taxes are paid, because the taxes are being paid annually in most of these situations, some places quarterly. That's up to your lender and your tax assessor how that's done, but it's not every month. okay? So that money kind of accrues and pays out, accrues and pays out. And somehow when they refinanced it, something got screwed with this guy's escrow account, and they were escrowing more money than they were supposed to, and all of a sudden the lender figures it out and just one day says, hey, we've been messing up your escrow, there's too much money in here, and sends him a check check just shows up in the mail. Well, this guy's got an almost debt free. No debt except a car payment, 14 payments on the car. No problem making the car payments. It says I can make payments every month, don't sweat it a bit. What do I do with the money? Do I save it or do I pay off the car? And one person chimed in and said the way things are right now, put it in savings and just pay on the car as you go. Another person said split it in half, drop the, the the payments on the car in half, so it'll be only seven months and put half of it in savings so you have saving reserves. The interesting thing was, and this is what absolutely crystallized the answer for me, is this individual also said, I have two months' worth of salary in a savings account already. So I already have 60 days of an emergency fund. I'd like it to be 90, but I know it could be 90 like that if we do what I'm going to say. So you know what I said to do. Pay off the stinking car. And we're some hemming and hawing back, and I'll link to this thread so you can chime in on it if you want to on the forum. But here's how I put it. I said, I want you to take this and just flip it around a little bit. Because when we ask ourselves a question the right way, the right answer always comes out. Well, here's my scenario. Instead of screwing up the escrow, let's say that you screwed up the car note. And that there was extra money going into the car note. And yesterday, instead of getting a check from the bank from your escrow account for cash uh of let's say, I don't know what fourteen payments on this car are, but three thousand dollars, four thousand dollars, five thousand doesn't even matter what it's five grand. Instead of getting a five thousand dollar check in the mail, you got the title to the car. They said, Hey, you don't have fourteen more payments. We were charging you too much. You've paid for the car here's the title, don't send us any more money. Would you at that point say to the car loan people, you know what, I'd rather have $5,000 still owed to you. Can you send me a check for $5,000 if I send you the title back and I'll make it over 14 payments? Of course, no one would do such a thing. It doesn't even make sense. You look at that and go, that, that would be dumb. Why would you ever, once a car is paid for, Finance against it again and refinance a car, depreciating asset. Well, if you have a car note in your hand and an equivalent amount of money that's not necessary for emergencies in your hand at the same time, then paying off that car note is no different than not refinancing the car once it's paid off. It's the same thing. But the more important thing that I was trying to convey, and this is a very hard thing to do, and it's what I'm going to try to get across to you today, is what happens when there is no more debt. When it's gone. When you have true debt freedom. What's it like on the other side? So I said things come together at the same time. Let me explain to you what else was going on yesterday while I was talking to this gentleman. Well, stepping back a little bit to the beginning of the show, back in episode 1, 2, 3, 4, up to about 30 before the crash, before the recession, there was already a recession. Nobody would admit it, but it hadn't become evident yet. People weren't losing jobs. The stock market hadn't been cut in half. Um, everybody was saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Now, I'm saying, no, it's not going to be okay. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be awful. Protect your money. Get your money out of stocks now. I must have said that 50 times uh, in the, all the way up until the stock market crash. I beg people, get out. But there was something else I was saying at the same time. This can be the greatest opportunity in the history of mankind. If you'll work on becoming debt-free, if you'll save your money and you'll protect what you've already earned now, the entire world is going to go on sale. I could probably find six or seven podcasts where I said that those exact words. The whole world is about to go on sale. And as it started to happen, I kept saying, "There's certain things that I want to do during this opportune period. One was get an RV. Earlier this year, I purchased an RV. I did buy a new one because after looking at the RV market, I decided that was the smartest thing to do. But I was able to get a hell of a deal by paying cash—a uh, really good deal by paying cash because they're not selling a lot of RVs right now. So I went in there and beat them down to just a little bit over dealer cost, and I bought it for you know maybe they made maybe three points." on that RV, which I thought was enough for them to make. The other thing that I've been saying that I really want going forward is I have this truck, but I'd like a diesel truck. And then buying the RV kind of made me realize it's time for a diesel truck. It's kind of hard to pull that truck, uh, pull that RV with that truck. It does it just fine until you start hitting some of the bigger hills, and then it's tacking way too far up. And it does it, but because it's pushing the motor Harder than it should be. My fear is, what's it doing to this truck? And my truck only, even though it's been paid for for years and it's a 2003, only has 78,000 miles on it. So that that truck has a lot of future in it if it's taken care of and not abused. We didn't want to trade it in. We'd never, you know, because the market sucks, right? So trading in a truck right now didn't seem like a good idea. It was paid for, don't need to. So we decided two is one and one is none. Let's get another truck and let's go pay cash for it. So yesterday I went out and bought a 2005 used uh, Ford F-350, and uh, I paid cash for it. It's got under 100,000 miles on it. And anybody that knows anything about diesel trucks, um, as long as it's you know structurally sound, those engines will run 300, 400, 500,000 miles when taken care of. And trust me, I take care of my vehicles. Um, I bought that truck for about 30% under its Kelley Blue Book value because I paid cash for it. And uh even my buddy Hal looked at it and said, they must have took a bath on this thing and i it's a beautiful truck it's a f three fifty uh it's red it's uh it's gorgeous it's a it's a dream truck it's uh the dodge has really been more Dorothy's truck than mine. this is my truck, and I'm very happy to have it, and I won't drive it a whole lot. It'll be a truck to be used for functionality uh for hauling and for pulling, but I will just ride around in it once in a while. And you might think, what does this have to do with debt freedom other than the fact that this guy paid cash for it? Remember I said that things come together. First, I want to tell you, I almost felt a little bit guilty um, by buying it. Like, you know, other people should have things too. And, you know, I almost didn't want to say anything about it on the show, thinking my audience would be like, this guy's getting rich. But I'm not getting rich, folks. Uh, we make, an, uh, we make the, about an average American middle class salary out of the show now after working on it for uh, going to be two years this June. It's taken that long to do that. So and I walked away from a lot lot larger income in January when I decided to do this full time. But yet there's more money. Well, before I get to how that works, I want to tell you the other thing that happened yesterday. I walked into the bank and I asked for a check, which even had thirty percent off blue book value is Fairly large check made out to uh, North Texas Truck Stop. It's a good place down in Mansfield if you're in the North Texas area to go look for trucks, by the way, if you want big heavy-duty trucks anyway. Amazing selection. And I talked to the bank teller, and she says, oh, you're buying a truck. I said, yes, I am. She goes, "Where? where is this place? And I told her, she goes, oh, I didn't know that was a name, but I've seen it. My husband loves that place. He wants a truck like that. I said, yeah, the biggest reason we're buying one is we just bought a new RV. She goes, that's what my husband wants. He wants a new RV. But we're not buying one right now. I said, okay, why not? She said, because we're in debt, and we have a four-year plan to be debt-free. I said, really? She goes, yeah, we're doing the Dave Ramsey thing. I said, well, if you like Dave Ramsey, you're going to love me. So I pulled out one of my survival podcast business cards, and I said, you guys need to start listening to my show, too, because you're going to need to figure out what to do, not just with debt freedom, but with the surplus the money's going to create. She goes, are you an investor guy? I said, no, I'm not an investor guy, not the way you're thinking. I'm a guy that believes that life is worth living to the fullest, and this is an example of that. I'm going to go down and pay cash for this truck. This is a reason that I'm walking into your bank to get a check from my own account versus asking you for a loan. And your four-year journey can be three if you want it to be. It's up to you. But be smart. Stay on the path because this is the result. So, again, this forum thread, this conversation with this bank teller and me getting this new truck, which kind of completes my goals for the year and the things that I wanted to take the opportunity out of the down market for, instead of buying stocks, I'm buying a truck that I'll be driving for 20 years. And um, as I looked at that, and as last night my wife and I sat in the truck and thought about the couple things that we need to do to it, the stereo, and it sucks. We want to put a decent little stereo system, and that's a couple hundred dollars. It's going to need about a $1,000 set of tires on it. Uh, which I'm not happy about, but I can only push the guy down so low on the price. But as we sat out there, I started to think about this journey that we've been on. And I want to tell you a little bit about the journey, because I don't want people that maybe are new to the show and don't know the past to think, oh, this guy's just got the modest touch, or it's all easy for him, or he made lots of money in his career. The, the reality is about eight years ago, my wife and I sat down and put the credit card bills all together in one place, and there was more than $25,000 in debt there. And uh, our bank account wasn't very big. It had a few thousand dollars in it. And we had a, uh, a 401k that we ended up having to cash in just to have enough money to get by because I'd lost a job. We had moved to Pennsylvania. And we had I had no job. I had a little bit of money coming in from the online things that I did. And we made a decision to come back to Texas. But before we made that decision, we sat down with our hands on our face and said to ourselves, How did we let this happen? We had some medical bills from uh, a condition that she had called trigeminal neuralgia. And if you want to uh, have a newfound sympathy for my wife, look up trigeminal neuralgia and see what that's all about. And those medical bills along this journey got a lot bigger before they got smaller because she ended up about three years ago having major neurological surgery and that set us back on that eight year journey toward total debt freedom. We had a lot of other debt and we had a house and house payments seemed low on it and we knew we could sell it and get out of it. And uh, come back here to Texas, but I had decided I had had enough of the sales industry. I'd learned enough about internet marketing. That's where I wanted to make my future. And the first job that I found, I went from making a six-figure salary as a salesperson in the Northeast to back here in Texas making forty-five thousand dollars a year uh, in marketing uh, because I was an entry-level position uh, for me. And even though I was very very skilled, I had no track record, so I had to take that step back before I went forward and. Over those years, I worked myself back up into a position with a six-figure salary where I was actually a partner in one company, a major partner in one company, a minor partner in several other companies, and drawing a salary and having ownership, and it was, it was pretty nice, the amount of money that we were making, but we still had to pay all this debt. And through this journey, there were many times that we looked at debt and just said, we could kind of just push that aside, make a little extra payment on it here and there, but somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, with the, the you know an additional $19,000 worth of medical bills that we ended up with uh, before it was over with and, and everything else. We just snapped. And, and it wasn't because I snapped and it wasn't because she snapped. It was because we both snapped. And we said, no, no more. We're going to do this. We're going to fix this. And toward the very end of that journey, I started doing the Survival Podcast. And I started getting on here and I started telling you to do the same thing. And I started telling you to do a lot of other things. And I got... I got fired up. And I got that last little bit of it. And I said, I'm going to kill it. And I killed it. And it's been dead for almost two years. I started doing this show. I started tying in other people. People like you. That are on your way at the very beginning of that journey. And a lot of you that are in the middle. And a lot of you that have completed it along, along the same lines that I did. And something crazy I'd never really noticed before. I didn't notice until yesterday. And this is the main thing I want you to get out of today's show about why it's important to be debt-free. This has been happening for months and months and months. And I'm just like, I just answer the question. I don't think about the why. Why are you asking me this? What does this mean that you're even asking me this question? Do you know how many questions, especially if you go through the listener feedback shows, how many questions I've answered in the last year that are Jack? I've got money, and I don't know what to do with it. I've got all this surplus. We paid off everything but the house, and now we've got money, and we've got $30,000 saved up, and should I buy gold? Should I buy silver? Should I buy stock? I'm afraid to leave it in cash. Should I invest it in print What do I do with my money? And it was yesterday, when I was buying that dream truck, talking to that bank teller, and answering that question on the forum, that it almost smacked me in the face what it was going on this is what happens when you pay off debt all of a sudden you have money that you're not accustomed to and you start asking yourself a question what do i do with this money and i said i've got to examine this i've got to understand this so i started thinking about it yesterday afternoon and i haven't stopped thinking about it since i'm still thinking about it now And this is what I basically figured out. There's two explanations. There's an emotional and spiritual concept that we'll get to next. There's also a logical, mathematical reason as well. And here's how it works. Again, I don't want anybody listening to this show to think that it's just all come easy to me. When I moved here to Texas, and we could go back to working in the turkey farms as a a teenager in my military service, but let's just start the journey from when I left the military and came to Texas for the first time back in 1993. I got here, and the first job I could get was packing boxes in a warehouse for $6. I don't say that so you'll feel sympathetic about me or anything like that. It was hard, brutal, miserable work, and no one there thought they had a future, and if they stayed there, they probably did not. The successful people in the plant were making about nine to eleven dollars an hour, and those people had been there for a very long time and had worked themselves into a position where their job was just a little bit better. And I thought, no, not for me. I'm going to keep working and I'm going to climb my way up the ladder. And I moved into telecommunications. I worked as a contractor for MCI. I ended up finally getting off the road with that work because they paid me well because I would travel. Uh, even though I wasn't very experienced, I gained the experience while traveling, uh, made enough money to be able to come home and, and not travel anymore, and stayed in that line of work and, and worked my way into sales from there and on up. And all along the way, my income level went from you know $6 an hour to $15 an hour to $20 an hour with some overtime to a nice salary with some commission to a better salary with a lot of commission to an even better salary with a whole lot of commission. Then I came back down the other income side and went back up again, and now I've dropped back off level. But what I've realized is that no matter where I was in that plane of up or down in income level, the point in my life at the beginning, the $6, $10 an hour job, and today are vastly different in income. Vastly. And it wouldn't matter if my first job was $2 an hour and I was making $10 an hour now, there's still a vast difference in most people throughout their life, as they move along through the continuum of life, increase their income over time. And even though inflation sucks, we increase our income faster than the rate of inflation. So we come from this place that we'll call poverty. It's poverty. When I first moved here, uh, I was splitting rent on a one-bedroom apartment and sleeping on the floor uh, of a friend's uh, living room. And uh, we ate a lot of Top Ramen noodles. And I guess it was a survival food because it was what we had money to buy. And we ate a lot of, uh, stovetop stuffing. And I would occasionally buy some chicken and make chicken soup and things like that. I mean, it was, uh, it was tough. It wasn't miserable, but it was tough. I, I felt like oh, I deserved more. And that's part of what drove me to work up that chain. But what happens is we come from that place of scarcity. And as we start to increase our income, we start to look at the things that we feel that we need. And on some levels we do. I had this beat up old Chevy pickup that was ready to fall apart, and instead of thinking about the fact that I had driven that truck for a year, and it had worked fine for a year, and going by another one that was like it was a year ago, and driving it for another year, I bought a new truck and got a truck payment. And I'm walking through all of it, but it's the same with everybody else. We all do this. We we go to a more expensive apartment, then eventually we buy a house with a house payment. Once we buy the house with a house payment make a few of them, all of a sudden people start throwing credit card applications at us. The dealer we bought the car from sends us a letter and says, we'll buy it back at 110% of its market value and get you in a new vehicle for the same payment or less, and we extend that debt, and we take a few of those credit cards out, and we buy a few things, and we make a few mistakes, and the next thing we do... We look around, and we're swimming in debt. And we say to ourselves, how do we let this happen? We have that hands-in-the-face moment that my wife and I had eight years ago. And and most of us never come back from that and do something about it. What we do is we accept it. There's two things that can happen when a person's diagnosed with a terminal illness. This is why I call debt cancer, because it's very, very similar A person can be told, you have cancer, and odds are you're going to die. You have six months to live. There's acceptance. And there's all this grieving nonsense. You know, there's first denial and then anger. and then I'm talking about the end result. There's pure acceptance at the end result, where you just say, well, that's the way it's going to be. I'm going to go work on my bucket list or, or whatever, try to do the best I can with my six months. And then there's the person that's not in denial, that's not in anger, but just says, oh, hell no, I'm not done yet. And they don't always win the fight. But that person is a hell of a lot more likely to win the fight than the one that just purely accepts it. Well, the, the, the sad reality is that many people, when they're given that terminal diagnosis, end up within a week into acceptance. It's an easier choice emotionally because you've kind of settled in that the outcome is I've got some time and this is what I'm going to do with it. Where fighting means there could be more pain involved. There could be more heartache. And the failure might be, and this is the big thing, for people that have cancer, they're more concerned with their family and their friends than they are for themselves at at some point. And they feel like if I fight hard enough and still fail, it'll it'll give them false hope. And I don't want them to have false hope, let alone me having false hope. That same thing happens with so many couples when they sit down and they look at their debt. They get this feeling like, man, I don't want to fight. I'll just, you know what, we'll just take this one and pay a little extra on it. You know, we'll just do that. And what happens, because it's not a focused effort, even if you eliminate one of the debts, all the other debts grow by more than you've eliminated that one debt by because you don't have a focus. But then there's the other person. The person that when they have that hands in the face moment, when they look at that terminal dead cancer, they say, hell no, no more, no more. I don't care what happens. And sometimes you're almost, you're almost better. They, they, they just did a scan. There's no cancer left. And then all of a sudden, you find a lump in your leg or your neck, and they say, yeah, it metastasized, and it moved there. Now you've got a different kind of cancer. That was our medical bills. We were almost free. And it didn't matter, man. We had to fix my wife. We had to get her life back. And it wasn't even really dead. It was just a bill. We didn't borrow the money. They said, here, pay it. We said, we don't have it all at once. Give us a payment plan. And we paid it off as quickly as we could. I'll tell you what. We had bills from the anesthesiologist, the hospital, and the doctor that did the surgery. I'll tell you what, it didn't matter which bill was bigger. You can guess which bill we paid first. We paid that doctor his bill, the surgical bill, first. Because he gave my life, or my, my wife her life back. In fact, as far as I'm concerned, he saved her life. So I said, you pay him first. And the, the, tell the other two bills they can just choke on it until we're done paying Dr. White. But that's what that was. That was like, you know, you're almost in remission, and bam, you get hit again. But you don't give up, you keep fighting. The people that do that, And this is the same no matter what you fight. When people come out the other side of a fight, they're different. They've gone through the crucible. They've been forged. And when they come out the other side, they're a different human being. Actually, they're the same human being they were before they went through the part of life that brought them down. They become the optimistic 18-year-old again. They become the person that says, anything's possible now. Anything. Anything. Sorry, folks, had to pause there. Uh, guy's coming to work on the pool pump today, and the dogs are trying to kill him. Anyway, the person that comes out the other side is forged into a new human being, or reborn into the human being they were with all that optimism. And something happens. Instead of now crawling through that life with that new life, they've already been through it, so they know what it means. They know what it's like, and they don't ever, ever, ever want to go there again. And all of a sudden, all the things that were anchoring and taking away that money, and see, that was the other thing that was going on. As your income increases, your debt simply increases, and your outflow increases, almost concurrently. So you have more stuff, but you never have any more money. Even when you pay, let's say you had three big debts, when you pay the first two off, you don't really start to see... More money. You're not used to more money yet. You're still throwing some money in savings here. Your savings is growing a little bit. But you're applying most of the extra money to the last debt. Then, when you pay the last debt off, the outflow just stops. And it's almost like you've built a dam. And it doesn't matter how much or how little money you make. Once the dam's built, even a trickle of water could turn into the Hoover Dam if it was backed up for long enough and high enough. And once that happens, it's 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 almost indescribable. I'm going to do my best to tell you what it's like. You stop buying crap. Even when you think you have stopped buying crap, you haven't. Even when you're you're scraping by and you're paying three times the debt on the biggest debt to get rid of it. Even when you've cut the cable to basic and gone to rabbit or gone to rabbit ears, or, or hocked the TV and got rid of it, and spend your time out picking cans. Even when you swear to God you've done everything you can to stop wasting money, you haven't. And then you get that free, and the dam starts to accumulate with some surplus. And for a lot of people, it's been since you were a little kid getting cards with money in them from grandparents for a birthday since you've actually saw money really accumulate quickly. And two to three months into this, you go, where the hell did this all come from? And you write a guy like me and say, what do I do with this now? I don't want inflation to get it. And sometimes I tell you, just keep cash. What are you going to do? You know, I want to buy land next. Save it. Save it in the safest place you can. Ten months, it ain't going to devalue nothing in ten months. If it devalues, the land's going to devalue right along with it short term. Just hold on to it. You're saving it for retirement, let's look at some allocation in the precious metals, let's look at a few select stocks, let's look at some staying in some kind of secure bond, let's let's, let's look at it, but get a good financial advisor if you can find one. But educate yourself and protect it. And anything in between that. But you're asking the question, and you know what, there's people out there thinking, I wish I had that problem. You can. It's a good problem to have. It really is. Well, that's how it happens. And all of a sudden, you, you just stop spending money on stuff that you swore to God that you needed before. Because now you're not trying to fill this, this empty spiritual and emotional void anymore. You also find yourself being extremely generous with charity and with helping friends. You see a friend, and you, instead of helping someone that's a friend because, Oh, I'm broke and I need some money. It's not the way it works. You start looking out and you see friends that are struggling their ass off. And they're working hard for something. And you step in with your knowledge and maybe a little bit of financial assistance was really that your knowledge is available because you're not killing yourself and you're not stressed anymore. And you step in as a mentor. And maybe you throw a gift or two that person's way that's designed to help them on their journey. Or you decide that, hey, you know, like my wife the other day said, we really need to give some money to St. Jude's. I said, write them a check. She goes, well, I'll write him a check at the end of the month after we pay our bills. I said, oh, no, 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 no. You write that check today, there's only one way you give money. You give it with your right hand, not knowing what your left hand is doing. If you think we need to donate to St. Jude's today, you, go, you get the checkbook out and send them a check. Would you like to be that type of person? That's what debt freedom really is. When we move from here, when we sell this place in Arlington, we'll move to Arkansas. And the little bit of money that we owe on that place up there, once we're not here, once we don't have the expense of living here, we'll pay off our house in Arkansas in 60 to 90 days. We'll be sitting on five acres in the middle of the mountains with no debt, three vehicles, an RV, and by then a boat with no debt on it, no debt on the land, and $300 a year in property taxes. We'll have to feed ourselves and pay the electric bill. And you know what I'm going to do a few years of that into that? I'm going to be paying a lot of my own electric bill with the sun and the wind. Without debt, freedom, it doesn't happen. Period. End of story. Nothing else. You can't Do it in debt. Because not only can't you afford it, you can't be the person that's optimistic enough to make it happen. I promise you, I don't care who you are, I don't care how little or how much you make, I don't care how big or how small your debt is, if you crawl through the crucible and you come out the other side, you will have the most positive life possible. I'm not saying you'll never get sad or be depressed. I just went through two weeks of depression. It was hard to get on here for the last two, not really this week, early this week, but for the week before and the week before that. It was hard to get on here every day and be excited and emotional and get you guys charged up and say, look, we can prepare for this and we can prepare for that. And Here's what to do with your gold and silver. Let me answer the same question for the 40th time because it's worthy of being answered again because somebody asked. It was hard. You know why? Not because my life was sucking. I was looking for a truck. You know, not because we weren't moving yet. My, if those of you who want to know why we haven't left Arlington yet, my wife wanted to stay a little longer, and I love her, so we're doing it. It's that simple. I don't want to, but you do a lot of things for spouses that you don't really want to do because they're important to you and you love them. It's going to sound crazy to you, but for two weeks we had gray, gloomy, windy, nasty weather, and it just sucked outside. It rained, and it was if it didn't rain, it, I would have preferred the rain. It was just cloudy and dark and gloomy And there was no sunshine for two weeks. And it was depressing. So you're not immune to being depressed or upset or unhappy. But the underlying human that you are is supercharged. And you start to see opportunities everywhere. And you start to realize, I don't need all the opportunities for myself. I... You start looking at people like when Greg Gauss came to me and said, Hey, I'm working on Revolution Rock and Roll. I said, Why don't you write me a song and I'll help you build that? You think it was just really about getting a song or do you think it was I wanted to help somebody? You know? You find yourself, and I did this the other night, writing an ass kicking email. And I don't mean an ass kicking isn't really good. I mean an ass kicking email to a friend who has so much potential but hasn't lived up to it yet. And saying, look, I'll tell you what you need to do. I'll tell you how to get this done. But you're going to have to take the steps. You're going to have to stop worrying about what the hell other people think. I almost didn't send it to him. I had to drink two glasses of scotch and soda before I sent that email. That's how, that's how tough I was on that guy. But you know what? He got it. I don't mean he received it. I mean he got it. It went in. It's, it's very, very difficult to convey. And again, I don't, this was a hard show to do. This was very hard to do because I don't ever like to feel like I'm talking down to anybody in this audience. I will get angry. I will get upset. I will get emotional. I will yell at you sometimes. But it's never like I'm here and you're down here. And I'm not doing that today. But I, I know that things when you talk about things like this, it can come across a way. Because whether you believe this or not... If you are penniless, sleeping on a floor somewhere right now, with no idea in your head how you could ever have half of what I'm talking about having, I was there with you just 15 years ago. You and I were the same person, separated only by time. Period. That's reality. There is not a single person... In fact, I'll tell you this. If you're able to right now be on the Internet hearing somebody talk through a podcast, you're the hell ahead of where I was back then. I, I couldn't have afforded anything that even remotely resembled the computer. Uh, I was still playing around with my Commodore 64 back then with no Internet access because the modem that I had didn't work in the new world uh, of the, the emergence of the initial Internet. I had a TV set that I grew up with, that I got a few channels on by putting a coat hanger on the back of, that I brought down here in my $400 Mustang two in the back seat as one of my few real possessions, along with some firearms and some clothing. So I've been there. And this isn't, you'll be rich, it'll be great, you know, just for ninety nine ninety five, send in and I'll send you my five DVD series on how you two can be. A- this is that's not what this is. There's no secret. There's no special plan. Everything you need to know about how to get out of debt, I'll give you right now for free. And if you want to hear it over and over and over and over again every day until it goes in and works. You can play this little piece of the podcast every day or you can tune in and listen to Dave Ramsey and listen to him and he'll probably even articulate it a little bit better in a way that may fit you better. But here's what you do. You sit down and you write out every debt that you have. Every credit card, every medical bill, everything. You don't worry about interest rates at all. You put the biggest debt on the top of the list and you put, uh, the smallest debt on the top of the list and you put the biggest debt on the bottom of the list. You take every spare nickel you can scrape up. You sell crap that you didn't think anybody wanted even if they give you a dime for it. You sell so much that dogs and the kids are afraid you're gonna sell them next. And you pay on that little debt until it is gone. And when that little debt is gone, you take all of the extra money that you have from that debt from not having to pay anymore, and everything else you can scrape, and you apply it to the second debt. And you keep doing that until the second debt is gone. And you'll find that by the time you work your way to the third debt, you pay the third debt faster than the little one at the top, because you're compounding the power. And by the time you get to the bottom and come out the other side, you'll have what I'm talking about. Where does extra money come from? Extra money comes from spending 15 cents on a notebook or scounging some pieces of paper for free and stapling them together and getting a pen and keeping a spending journal for two weeks. A month is better. Every time you, a spouse, or anybody in your household spends a nickel, you write down what it was and where it went. At the end of the month, you go through there with a red pen and check off all the crap you wish you hadn't spent money on, and you don't do it next month, and all of a sudden you have more money. And again, I don't care who you are or how broke you are, you'll have a lot of red checks. My wife was having this conversation with somebody at work the other day. And she had read Dave Ramsey's book. In fact, one of the things that we had done is we went out and bought his badass book, his big one, hardcover, glossy. Wanted to make a good impression. $29 spent it. Gave it to this lady. He said, here, you and your husband need this. She read it. She's sort of on board. He's not. He's going to just piss away money for their entire marriage, however long that lasts. And since he's a fireman, at the end of his career, he's going to get a lump sum retirement plus the pension. Because he believes it'll be there. We all know how that could work out, but even if it is, that's the money he's supposed to live on for the rest of his life. He's going to take that lump sum and pay his debt off That Ain't that a good plan, folks? Well, my wife's having a conversation with this lady. And she says to her, I want to do this, he doesn't, but I don't understand where this extra money is supposed to come from. And my wife says, how much money do you spend down in the cafeteria on lunch every day? And she said about $5, which I know that my wife let that slide. I know that's bull crap myself. I know it's probably 6 or 7 Call it 5 bucks. that's $100 a month. There's probably enough leftovers being thrown out in that home that she could eat without spending any additional money just while you're paying off the debt, not for the rest of your life. So there's $100. And I think she, fit, my wife and her figured out she's spending another like $70 a month buying sodas out of a vending machine. First of all, stop bringing the sodas. They're no good for you. Second of all, if you're going to drink them, go buy a few cases of them. They have a refrigerator in the office. Bring them in. My wife said, "You know," we just bought a truck. We, a few months ago, bought an RV. We're debt free. My wife told her, in the last two weeks, I spent 38 cents at the cafeteria because one day she wanted some tuna fish to go with the stuff she had bought in. So she bought a scoop of tuna fish for 38 cents. So this lady who's broke and deeply in debt over uh, a two-week period spent $50, And we, who have come out the other side of the journey without feeling any hardship about it whatsoever, spent 38 cents. That's the difference. The person spending the $50 to buy the cafeteria processed food crap is miserable, and the lady that spent the 38 cents is one of the happiest people you'll ever meet in your life as long as that dumbass doctor she works for isn't pissing her off. And I'll tell you as a side note, that boy better learn to speak to my wife with some respect or me and him are going to have a conversation. I've been threatening that for years. (laughs) That's an aside though, folks. But this is the reality that people are in. So this couple, a lady sort of that figured this, we kind of need to get out of this, and a husband that's in complete denial are spending more money than we are. Not counting the debt money. Extra money. And I promise you, You won't get it. You will think you get it. Hopefully, I'll inspire you. Hopefully, you'll start the journey. Hopefully, if you're on the journey, you'll accelerate it. But you won't get it until one month, exactly 30 days, after that last debt is paid. 30 days after that last debt is paid, you're going to look at your checking account and go, Huh, I need to make a transfer to savings. And maybe two months in, you're going to go, What do I do with this? And then you're going to sit down and go, that crazy lunatic that yelled at me on the internet was right. And I didn't need somebody's debt freedom bullshit course. And I didn't need to sign up for some kind of freaking membership where somebody would call me on the phone and tell me I'm a winner every day. I just needed to realize that I was worth it and my family is worth it and I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it right now. And it won't get finished tomorrow, but it damn sure is going to get started today so that there will come a tomorrow when it's done. And that's what it takes. And if you have debt cancer right now, if you're thinking about this and you're maybe listening on headphones at work where you can't do it or driving in your car where you have to pay attention, but if you really... Feel like you want to put your hands in your face right now. I understand. I get it. I've been there. When you get a chance, go ahead, do it. It's okay. Put your hands in your, your face and your hands. Think about it. Be frustrated. Let it sink in. I've got death cancer. But then make a choice. Make a choice for yourself. Am I going to accept my cancer? Am I going to accept what it's going to cost me? Or am I going to rise up and say, hell no, no more? I'll go through the chemo. I'll go through the amputation. I'll amputate the things I don't need. And I'll deal with the sickness I feel when I don't have the crap that I think I need. I'll go through junk food withdrawal. I'll do whatever the hell it tastes, but I am going to beat this damn thing. And you may be really sickened when you find out how long your journey is. Some people will look at that journey and it will be four years. Some people will look at it and it will be ten years. I want to tell you, if you'll do it, no matter what it seems like when you first write your plan, it will be less than seven years if you commit to it. I don't care how bad it looks. It will be less than seven years. In fact, most people, no matter how bad their debt is, no matter what their income is, when they start doing it, they get out of everything, including the house, in seven to ten years. No debt on the house. No debt anywhere. Freedom. But that's what I want you to understand so you don't go any deeper. The cost of debt is not measured in money. God, you need to understand this. The cost of debt is not money. It's time. It's years. It's pieces of your life. It robs you of your life. And as happy as I am to be 38 and debt free today, I think to myself, you could have been 28 and debt free. You could have had a little less then and you'd have a lot more today. The other side of that, the consoling part of it is I don't want a hell of a lot more than I have today. I want to help more people today. I've kind of reached a point where I'm pretty satisfied. There's a few things I want. I want that boat. When we moved to Arkansas, I want to go out there on Lake Washington and catch stripers. You know, I want to upgrade my little John boat. I'll get there. Could be there tomorrow. I don't really want it that way. I've been there through that that path where, hey, you got plenty of money you can afford. The boat payment's $165 for the boat I want. Yeah, for 12 years, salesman. I don't think I'm going to do that today. Let us get moved. Let us get out from underneath this, and then I'll buy the boat that I want, and I'll go talk to another bank teller, and maybe I'll leave another business card and hopefully a lasting impression. That's what debt freedom is all about, folks. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up there today. It's about ten minutes early. You don't need another ten minutes of me yelling at you to make this point. It's been made. But it is your choice. And I want you to think about this today. And here's what I need from you. If you are anywhere in this debt, I need you to commit to yourself today, not to me, that you're going to make this happen. I absolutely mean it. I want you to do it. And I want you to tell your story in the show notes today, about where you are. And I want you to do something else. I want you to read all the show notes from today. And I want you to keep coming back, probably for a week or more, before it will stop after a show like this. And I want you to read everybody else's story. And I want you to read everybody else's story of everybody that's there with you right now. Don't have to leave a name. Don't worry about putting your email address in. I'm the only one that sees it, and I don't even look at it. It's just a... A thing that's on WordPress, they make you stick your email in there. You don't have to, you can put down anonymous if you want to. But tell your story. Where are you? How would you get into it? What kind of mess have you made for yourself? And what's your plan to get out of it? And don't not do it because your plan's not complete. You can put, here's where I am and I don't even know what the hell I'm going to do right now. Be part of this discussion. But there's another group of people out there I'm going to ask. Your involvement is so much more important than people telling us about the mess that they've made. I want people that are out of the mess that went through it. I want you to tell us how bad your mess was, what you did to get rid of it, and I want you to tell everybody what it's meant on the other side. I want you to tell people whether all the things that I've said today are true, whether I'm just full of crap. I want you to, if I'm I'm lying, if you paid off your debt and it didn't work out exactly like I said it would, call me a liar. Go ahead. It's okay. I will not get angry with you because I know there's no one out there that's going to do it. And if you do, you're going to be the exception. I want to hear from all the people that say, hey, we did it, and here's what it's meant for us. This is where we're going now. We're on our way, and we're on our way in a new way. We've been through the crucible, and we'll never go back. And I want to hear from the people that were wiser than me that never went into it. Who went into it so little that it was easy to come out, and have just lived your life without ever going into that trap in the first place. I want to hear from all of you, because I want you to inspire. Because I know there's one person, there's at least one person out there right now that's listening to me today and thought... Fought his way through it. It was so hard to get through listening to this. You felt like you were being like, and you're thinking he's full of crap. It wasn't that hard for him. It was easier for him. He's got it made now. He's got this big talk show. You know, it's it's so simple now. It's it's easy to say. It's hard to do. Whatever. That person's not going to listen to me. And all of you out there that'll tell your stories, there might only be one person that reads your comment who decides this path is for me too. And I'll tell you. Since you're there, you know it's worth making the effort so that that one person will take the journey you've taken. So please do that for me today. And with that, I am going to sign off. I want you to remember, while debt is a cancer, unlike cancer, it's never terminal. There's always a way to cure yourself. Sometimes it's amputation and chemotherapy, but it can be done. And if you do it, if you work hard, if you get yourself out of debt... All of those dreams that you have, whether it's a homestead in the city or a homestead in the country, whether it's being prepared for Armageddon or just being prepared for tomorrow, whatever those dreams are, you will be able to make them come true. Not because of magic, but because of who and what you are—a human being that, first of all, has the capacity. To live. This has been Jack Spirko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life. It's time to get tough.